If you read Scripture, nine times out of ten, when the word but appears, the thing that follows that, you had better stink and pay attention to because it's important. Because he'll say, you have done a great job, you're doing good things, blah, 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 but you've forgotten your first love. You've turned away from me. There's some things you need to do. Uh, you may hear the, oh, you're doing bad stuff, stuff's going wrong, da, 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 you, but, but my love is so great for you, you can't, see what I'm saying? Every time you hear the word but or you read it in Scripture, you really do need to pay attention to it because it is extremely significant. Uh, and the but that we had talked about last week that we're going to uh, talk about today is found in Ephesians 2.4. And it says this, But God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much, oh, how he loves us, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, folks, that you have been saved. No, uh, uh, you know, I was going to, I've been thinking, I've been wrestling with the title for this message all week uh, because I was going to title it, uh, What Comes Out of the Butt. <laughs> One T, but I figured that wouldn't be really good. Um, so I just titled it The Result because we're going to talk about what comes out of this butt. The result of this but God is extremely important. And uh, I told Pastor I was not going to put that title on our printed material, but he didn't know I was going to say it. So um, it's important to understand. We're going to continue this theme. So go to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to continue this text. Uh, because last week, he helped us understand some important things. Uh, he, he highlighted for us God's work for us, God's work in us, and God's work through us. And the realization and the truth that you are a masterpiece, a unique work of creation by God. Raise your hand. Everybody, no, seriously. Now look at your hand and look at your fingerprints. Now look at your neighbor's fingerprints. Are they the same? The answer to that is no, by the way. <laughs> oh, I think they are. No, they're not. Everybody's fingerprints are unique, right? Every single one of us are imprinted by God uniquely. It's not something, it's just an amazing thing. In verse 8 of Ephesians 2, it says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. You cannot take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so nobody can boast about it. For we are God's what? Okay. For we are God's what? There we go. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Other translations say workmanship. Other translations say creation. Uh, whatever it is, for we are God's masterpiece. That's the first fill-in. You have got to understand that. And if you were here last week, we gave you a little bookmark out on the table and we had you put your thumbprint on that because each of us are imprinted by God in a unique way, because he has created us to be who we are. Even if you're a twin or have twins, you know that they are different. I mean, they may look the same in a creepy kind of way, 
but they are completely different when it, it comes to how they interact and hang out with others. I mean, they're split in the womb. It doesn't get any closer than that, right? And even in that, they are completely unique. So we are God's masterpiece, and you have to understand that for where we're going to go. So as a result of the grace of God, His salvation through faith by grace, and the fact that we are His masterpiece, and in the last little bit of that text, and it's on your, on your handouts, it says the good things He planned for us long ago. Paul gives us this understanding. Now, now let me explain something real quick. When Paul's writing this, there are two people groups. Okay? There's the, the nation of Jews, the Judean culture, the, the lineage that came out of the Exodus, the Jewish people, okay? and then everybody else. Everybody else who is not a Jew are called what? Gentiles. Okay? Now, most of us here today are Gentiles. Some may be in that Jewish, they have a Jewish background and a Jewish bloodline, so to speak, but the rest of everybody is Gentile. So whenever Paul's writing this, you have to understand that there are two distinct people groups that he's speaking about, and they don't like each other. It's like Raider fans and Bronco fans, right? Two distinct people groups, the chosen ones, Denver fans, and the ones going to hell, Oakland Raider fans, right? I knew that would get you going this morning. Easy, easy now. But you have to understand, there's two different people groups that he's writing to, and they do not get along, okay? So you have to understand that. And it says this, because of that, that great workmanship, the masterpiece of God, the things that he's done, his salvation on the cross, it says this in the next verse, verse 11. It says, don't forget. Don't forget. The New American Standard, Standard Bible says, therefore, remember. Remember that us, speaking of us, that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uh, uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. See, Paul uses the, the Jewish people as an illustration uh, of what real transformation looks like. Real transformation begins in the heart. Real transformation starts in here. Now, some of you are still caught up on the word circumcision. You have to understand that the Jewish nation, the people uh, that came through that process, the way that they were told apart, other than some cultural things and some looks, and obviously the biggest difference in segregation was the issue for men of circumcision. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that this morning, but you need to understand that that was the marked difference. And the fact that Paul is saying this, he says, listen, the Jews had the right pedigree. They came out of the right bloodline. They had the right appearance on the outside. They even had the physical marking of circumcision, which is based on an Old Testament covenant that God made and said, listen, I'm going to set you apart by doing this, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to be circumcised and blah, blah, blah. You can go read it. It's in there. Um, but Paul says they were missing something. Uh, they were transformed physically on the outside, and they looked like what a good follower was supposed to look like. But their hearts were not right. Only their, their physical body, bodies had the right transformation, but the transformation that needed to happen is in the heart 
and they didn't get it. As Paul says, they were proud of their circumcision. They were proud of the way they looked. And it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. See, there may be some of you today that, that have what, what you know, I would consider, quote, the right bloodline. You were born in the back pew of a church, and you haven't missed a Sunday in 40, 50, 60 years, right? Uh, or only, you know, once in a while. You, you're the type of people that actually go to church on vacation, right? I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, you've attended your whole life. You dress the part what you think you're supposed to dress like. You, you act the part. You act the way you're supposed to act. But you're empty. Uh, I mean, there's something that's, that's kind of missing. And, and maybe you feel just a little anxious, a little lost, a little hopeless. Uh, uh, something's not quite right. Because maybe complete transformation hasn't happened inside you yet. Now, some of you, maybe you've attended church a couple of times, here for the first time, you've only heard about Christ through the grapevine, you feel like an outsider, but you're also empty and kind of lost and hopeless and anxious, and, and you don't know why, you can't figure it out, you've tried everything. I think it's because transformation hasn't really happened. See, what Paul's saying is it doesn't matter who you are, or where you've come from, or what you look like, or how you dress, or uh, the number of tattoos you have, or the ta- number of tattoos you don't have, or whether you hate tattoos or not. doesn't matter. At some point, every one of us has been separated by God, and there's this void, this, this gaping area in our lives that we try to fill and we try to fix by ourselves and it's really the transformation of our insides. It's, it's like this. It's like uh, going away on vacation, and you're going to have somebody house sit for you, okay? And so you, you walk them in, you give them the keys to the house, and you say, hey, the whole house is yours. We're going to be gone for three months. Uh, you can just live in it, hang out. Uh, it's all yours. You can have all the food. You can do everything, except you can't go into this room. It's the only room you can't go in. Now, if you're anything like me, I would really want to know what's in that room. And I would possibly even break in just to find out what's going on. But, you know, you've put up three or four walls, and so nobody can get in. It's, it's kind of like that with Jesus, that, that you say, you know what, you can have everything in my life, God. You can move into me. You can, uh, I am submitted to you except this one area. Uh, I, I'm going to take care of that. You take care of everything else. So you've heard me say before, I think this is the, the, actually the last message I spoke, was that, that we as individuals are just good enough and just smart enough in some areas that we can manufacture and make things happen that we don't need God to do certain things. And the problem is, is we don't fully submit to him. And we give him the keys and say, dude, you can have run of the place except this one area. And what is, in that one area, we're pressing on and we're moving and we're going. And we're saying, hey, God, come on, follow me. I'm doing a great job up here. You should bless this. As opposed to following Christ we are hoping that Christ follows us. 
Now, let me say this, that there are times whenever we will fully submit our lives to Christ, we will give him access literally to everything. And we are broken by that. We're humbled by that. We know that we've done it. It's evident in our lives. And then all of a sudden, things are going really well. We're clipping right along at a good pace. Everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, we take back that one little area that we're doing so well in because we got it. And a week later, a year later, 10 years later, we look back and go, oh my gosh. At some point, I locked that door back up. And we have to come to a realization of constant submission. I I really think that that one of the hardest things uh, to do is to wake up every day and follow Jesus. Uh, it's easy, to, pretty easy to get up and go to work. It's pretty easy to do all sorts of things. But every single day, you have to say, yes, Lord. It's not a one-time event. It's not a one-and-done kind of deal. Every day, you will be faced with situations and opposition where you have to make a choice to either say, yes, Lord, or ah, I got this. And whenever we don't say yes... Something happens. And we may not be aware of it. We may not be cognizant of it. But something in us happens. And and in that one area where we've taken control back, we begin to lose hope. We begin to feel lost because where there is no God, there is no hope. That's the next little uh, fill-in on your blank. You cannot have hope without God. In verse 12, Paul continues that thought. He says, remember, in the New American Standard, it says, remember, okay? Before Christ came, this workmanship, the circumcision piece, remember. Those days before you were accepted into the body of Jesus, those days, remember, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from membership or citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without what? Hope. See, the realization is that without Christ, without this internal transformation that has got to occur in our lives, We are like people wandering aimlessly without any direction. We've not accepted the covenant promises of God, either Old Testament or New, and we are completely lost. Over 15 years of ministry, I tell you what, if I had a dollar for every time I spoke to somebody that came to the office of the church uh, that felt hopeless or lost or couldn't see the good things going on and only saw the negative and and maybe they've attended church their entire lives, or maybe they were just somebody who wandered in off the street. Uh, their lives were a complete wreck. 80-year-old people who have, I mean, done the deeds and worked the work and done the, the whole nine yards, they still come in and, Miss Preacher, I'm just lost. Because we, we get ahead of where God wants us to be, and we do rather than being in God and allowing Him to lead us because we have not submitted to Him, we've not been transformed inside by Him, and we don't have hope because we're trying to do it on our own. And maybe I'm just talking about me. 
Well, I am talking about me, and I'm glad there's others on this journey with me. I can guarantee it. Maybe, maybe you've attended church your whole life. Maybe you haven't, and you feel just disjointed. A few weeks ago, um, a pastor mentioned that, that in the first century world, if you were a bloodline, if you were my kid uh, by birth, I could disown you. I could kick you out of my will, boot you out of the inheritance, kick you out. But if I adopted you into my family, I couldn't get rid of you if I tried. So we are adopted into the family of Christ as Gentiles, as people not in the Jewish lineage. What God is saying is, listen, the Jews didn't get it, so I'm booting some of them out unless they're transformed inside. And you Gentiles, because of your transformation, are adopted into me. And guess what? We're in this deal for the long haul. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. See, I, I thought for a while uh, I was doing okay. See, I didn't go to church as a kid. I, you'd hear me say this before. We were Christers. We went at Christmas and Easter, and that's all we ever did, right? Uh, and, and until about 13, uh, 13 to 17, we, we went to church, and, and I quote, by God, we're going to church. That's what my dad said. And so we went to church. Didn't have any idea what it was. But, but even through that process, uh, you know, I started doing stuff. I led our youth group in a lot of areas. Uh, scarily enough, I even preached a couple of Sundays to lead our youth Sunday services that we used to have. And, and, and I thought I was doing okay because I walked the walk on Sunday and everything was fine. And for Pete's sake, my, my preacher's wife was my English teacher. And it couldn't get any... I mean, I saw Bev every day and she had her thumb on us and she's great. And so I thought I was doing all right. I'm not going to tell you what I did Friday, Saturdays, but Sunday I was on, man. Wednesday nights, I was there at youth group. I was in. I think I was doing, I thought I was doing okay. I was saying the right things. I acted the part. I faked it. Does that sound familiar? Amen. Because that's the same thing that the Jewish folks were doing. That's the same thing most of us do as well. Until we are fully transformed by the love of Christ. That's why I love that song. We have just gone through the motions. And it wasn't until over 10 years later that I fully said, okay, I give up. I'm giving you the keys to that little space in my, in my life that, that I didn't want to give up control of. And I tell you what, for, for a lot of years... And it was fantastic uh, in terms of what God was doing in me. And then, got going really good, and I'm just good enough and just smart enough and just talented enough to start making things happen. And and I'm just like, God, come on, this is awesome. You should really be a part of this because this is cool. Until, you know, about a year ago or so, I, I sat in a room and looked back and go, holy cow. What have I done? At some point along the way, I said this a few minutes ago, we do this. At some point along the way, everything's going so well. And we're so, oh, yeah. And then we just take it back little bit by little bit, and we don't realize it. And then we come to a moment in our lives, and we're like, oh, my gosh. God, I am a, I'm, I'm sorry. I took back what I had given you. The good thing is, since we're adopted in the family of God, we're, we're not getting booted out because of that. 
But we have to realize that until we fully submit him to him and give him complete control and accept this free gift that, that we can't continue to grow in him because we're growing in ourselves. Does that make sense? We can't grow in Christ if you're just growing in yourself because you're making the deal happen. And that's why I said a few minutes ago that I think one of the hardest things in the world to do is to wake up every day and follow Jesus and really submit your life to him and be transformed and allow that to be lived out. Because if you can do that, if you can surrender, then Christ brings peace to our lives. Do you realize that? That's the next little fill-in. Christ brings peace. Once I submitted both times, it's an everyday event, right? But once I submitted, I found peace. Paul writes this in verses uh, 13 and, and following. He says, but now. <laughs> There's that word again. Okay? You lived, he just said, you didn't know the covenant promises of God. You, made a, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now. You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you are far away from God, what's the next word? Thank you, six of you. But now you have been brought near to me through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to have peace. Now, now this issue of submission, I didn't, whenever, whenever this happens in your life, I didn't find easiness. I didn't find comfort. I didn't find a bed of roses or a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow at the happy little leprechaun dude, right? The minute that you give your life over to Jesus, if you did that this minute today, tomorrow your car is going to blow up. Something is going to happen. And, you know, the devil did it. Whatever, that's just life sometimes. You might be driving a piece of junk car. But the deal is, whenever stuff like that happens, we think we're doing right, and we really submit our lives to Jesus, something happens, and then all of a sudden we go, oh, see, see, I knew I could do this better than you could, God, so I got it. I'm taking it back. That's not the case. Uh, somebody told me between services that, uh, just a real quick story that, uh, the, the friend had this friend of theirs had this exact same situation. They were like, you know what, to heck with God, blah, blah, blah. I'm doing my own thing. And then all of a sudden they submit their lives back to Jesus. And, and literally within the week, they submitted their lives to God fully, fully on like a Sunday. Thursday, their house burns down. Literally within a week, house burned down totally to the ground, right? And of course, what would that make you think? Oh, there you go. Give my life to Jesus, blah, blah, blah. We'll come to find out. Renter's insurance. Thank God for insurance. Gave her enough money she could buy a whole house her own. See, sometimes we have no idea what's going on. If we try to control it, you can't manufacture that unless you're an arsonist and that's illegal. You can't manufacture things like that. Only God can do certain things because we don't know what he's going to do. It's this issue of peace. Submission and peace is key in our lives. He's the only one that can bring that peace to us. Isaiah 
thousand years before, wrote in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of what? Peace and... Peace and... The news that the God of Israel reigns. It does not say he will bring peace and comfort and a pot of gold and just a nice, easy, even-keeled life. No, two of the most important things. Peace, internal peace, non-conflicted, fighting-with-yourself mess, and salvation. I don't know about you, but for me, those things are important. Because without Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no life, then life. It's life and then hell. Death, eternal separation from God. Peter, after he visited Cornelius, who was a Gentile, an important guy, uh, God said, go. Peter's like, I don't, eh. God said, go. And so he went and they had a conversation in Acts chapter 10, verse 36. Um, he's talking to Cornelius. He says, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Because of what God has done, there can be peace. The only way that you will have peace in your life, the only way the Middle East will ever be at peace. The only way our schools will be peaceful places. The only way your family will be at peace. The only way to have peace between you and God is through Jesus Christ. Period. Because he is the only one who can make us right with God. He is the only one who can make us right with God. Now I'll tell you something. That's not what you hear in the world. That's not what we hear every day. There's a thousand ways to God. I can blah blah blah. What it, no, the truth of the matter is there is only one way. And he brings that peace so we can share that peace with others and be reconciled. To reconcile means to bring back to, to, to come back together in a situation. See, we cannot do it ourselves. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot do enough. You cannot give enough to be made right with God. You cannot do it. Because John 14, 6 says this. These are Christ's words. Jesus told them, verse 6 says, I am the way, the and the and how many? I, I don't care what we hear in the world. I don't care what you think in terms of this. No one can get to God except passage through Jesus. That's the only way to get there. And through Christ, the only way to have uh, peace, uh, that he's the only way to have peace in your life is through Jesus Christ. And the question is, well, how can this happen? How can, how can he be the only one? Blah, 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 blah. The reason is this, and Paul writes it in verse 15. He did this by ending the system. This is Jesus. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled, brought back together 
both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. The only way we can be fully reconciled or brought back to God is complete submission to him through Jesus Christ. He is the bridge, he's the pathway, he's the only way to get there. Now, some people will be like, well, I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't need Jesus because i got to act like a certain way and talk a certain way and dress a certain way, and I'm just not going to do it. The truth is that Christ brings unity and not uniformity. I mean, think about it. Uh, If the whole world was me and people like me, I mean, it'd be a pretty great place, don't get me wrong, but... You see what I'm saying? I mean, we we all are not the same. I want you, okay, this is what we're going to do right now. Uh, In 30 seconds, you're going to stand up and you're going to move across the room and sit right next to the person who looks exactly like you. Ready, go. Okay, that's what I thought. Similar, weird, but similar. See, we're not the same. Even Even a twin, I'm telling you, some look exactly alike, yes, but there's something just a little different just something always a little different. That's the way Christ works. He wants to bring unity, but not uniformity. I mean, there are stark differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, and Christ did not come to make them all look alike or act alike or dress alike. He brought them to unity. He brought them under the banner of Christ in his work on the cross. In verse 17, it says this, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? We are who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Did you hear that? He brought peace to both groups of people, Jew and Gentile, Jews who were close, Gentiles who were far away. He brought them together in unity and peace together. And because of that, verse 18, now all of us, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. He goes on to say, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, who's that? Us, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Because of the work of Jesus and the issue of submission, transformation inside, reconciliation, salvation, we are part of the household of God. You see, Christ removed all of the laws and rules and regulations about having to come to God. Uh, the, the Jews had to follow. There were 613 Levitical laws. None of us in this room can ever drive the speed limit, right? Can you imagine consistently? Oh, but I do every time. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Because we, we just can't do it, especially down Morello from like here to the... Did you know that that's a 25-mile-an-hour thing the whole way? My gosh. It's good. I don't know how many more times i got to get stopped to remember that. 
I just can't get it through my head, right? That's the way we are. We can't follow the law. We can't follow all the rules. So Jesus said, okay, this is the deal. This is in Romans 5. Go there and read it. It basically says, listen, just have a relationship and trust in me and you're good. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, and mean it. Now, sometimes it may be easier to drive the speed limit every day, everywhere you go, than it would be to say, yes, Lord, every day. Like I said earlier, it is the single hardest thing to do, yet it's the most easy and rewarding and freeing. See, because of all that, Christ brings unity across racial, social, political, sexual lines. All of this is found in Christ. He broke down the hostility between the two groups. They did not like each other. He created a new community. And then guess what? We get to be grafted into that because of the work of Jesus. And we stay grafted in that because we're adopted. But we don't realize that until we fully are transformed until we really allow God to be the author, the main play caller, the number one in our lives. See, the only way for countries to be united, for churches to be united, for families to be united, the only way any of that can happen, reconciliation can only happen through Jesus. Do you see a pattern? No hope. There's no, where there's no God, there's no hope. There's no salvation. There's no way back to God except through Jesus. I'm pretty sure Jesus is kind of the key in all this. He's the only one that can bring that peace. He's the only one that can bring that reconciliation. And the result of Christ's work on the cross, the result of all of this that Jesus has done is membership into God's family. You have the opportunity to be a part of the family of God. Ephesians 1.5, we spoke about a few weeks ago, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And I love this next line. This is what he had to do, and he did not like it very much. It's not what it says, is it? It's on your screen and in your notes for Pete's sake. This is what? Thank you. What he wanted to do. And it gave him what? Newsflash, he didn't have to do it. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. He did not have to graft us Gentiles into his kingdom. Jesus prayed in the garden, God, Dad, whoo, I don't want to do this. I, am not, I do not want to go through this. I don't want to die for these people, basically. But not what I want, what you want. You know what? All he had to do was say, I ain't doing it. And call down a host of angels, voila, champagne, off he goes to heaven and never has to die. But he wanted to do it. And it gave him great pleasure to do it for us. It gives God great pleasure when people, when we give our lives over to him. And it breaks his heart when we take it back. When we freely give it. Let's say you gave your kid for their 16th birthday a brand new car. Brand new Maserati. 
say you could do it. Yeah, I know. And a couple weeks later, you're like, nah, I don't think so. And you just take it back from them. I mean, what would they think about that? Right? You may not be able to sleep safely at night. I'm going to break their hearts and tear them up. Same, same, yeah, it's kind of a silly, same kind of thing. God, listen, I'm going to give you everything. You got it. Yes. Mm, not today. Not feeling it. Taking it back. And it breaks his heart every time. So if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't completely given him the keys to the entire house in your life, I'm just going to ask that you consider doing that today. Simply because you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. If you've been struggling to find hope and gain peace in your life, then a complete transformation has not taken place. Now, I'm not saying that once you completely give everything over, like I said this, it's not going to be easy. It's not simple. It's not going to be gravy the whole way. Woohoo! No. But you will experience a peace that you do not yet know. He is, Jesus is the only way to make us right with God. And because of that, we are God's family. Now, I don't, I don't know where you are in this journey with Jesus, and I don't know where you are uh, through the process, but I do know something. I know that you're here today. And simply because you are here today, we consider you family. You are part of, if, even if this is your first time, you are now part of the Creekside. We're not going to stalk you, but you are part of the Creekside family. You're like that estranged cousin that nobody really knows that shows up to the family reunion, but you still just kind of hang out. and everybody, Hey, come on, this is great. We're just playing horseshoes or whatever you do at family reunions, right? It's that kind of idea. You are part of this family. Now, if you have not submitted your life to Christ, you may not be adopted into God's family, and that's okay. We want to help you get there. But today, you are part of this family. And one of the things that for me is really important that families do together is they eat. Seriously, top three, three-letter words. God but eat. I can put it in that order. Because there's something, there's something amazing that happens whenever you share a meal with people. There's a, we lived in, in Kansas, and there's two, these chicken, fried chicken restaurants in Pittsburgh and another town called Frontenac, which is a weird name, but it was called Chicken Mary's and Chicken Annie's. And uh, you walk in, and the tables in a couple of sections <clears throat> were like 10 tables, 10 eight-foot tables just lined up with chairs, right? Now, some of you would completely freak out walking into a place like that, right? See, for me, um, I am much more comfortable standing here talking to, you know, a couple hundred folks than I am sitting at a table with three or four of you. I mean, you kind of freak me out a little bit in small groups. Large groups, I'm great. Because I can keep you out here and hold you at this length. A lot of us are like that. That's why these tables freak us out. And our wives or our husbands drag us or our kids make us come. And then you 
sit around, you hear some things, you start talking to people, and then you're kind of okay, and then four or five days go by, and you decide you're not coming back because you don't like the tables. You could not eat at a restaurant anywhere if you just had to stand and eat by yourself. That would pretty well stink, wouldn't it? Something happens whenever we break bread together. Uh, Luke chapter 24 they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about the death and resurrection or death of Jesus. They didn't know he'd resurrected yet. Jesus is walking along with this couple and they're, he's, they're telling him their sadness and he's telling them the redeeming work of God through himself but saying, you know, through, through God. And the only time that they understood that he was really Jesus is when they sat down at the table together and they broke the bread and began to share the meal. There's something powerful that happens when we sit together and eat. Uh, in, in the valley in the Las Banas, uh, there's a, a French Basque restaurant um, that was set up, is set up the same way. It's all family style. You have to walk in and sit down. And the first time I went in, uh, we went with a couple of guys and I'm like, man, this is, I am not doing this. And we sat down and a couple of guys sitting over there and sitting here and then somebody sat down next to me and I'm like, like people. I don't want to sit with them. And so they sat down and, and all of a sudden we started talking. And I'm from Colorado and we knew, started knowing some of the same things and some of the same people. And then I was like, hey, that looks pretty good. What are you having? Can I have a bite? And off we went, right? <laughs> Just, I mean, it happens. Uh, yesterday I was, I was eating dinner and uh, this guy was like, yeah, you know, uh, we're doing some bar- having some barbecue ribs and stuff. He's like, oh, I'm from Kansas City, and uh, I, I know good ribs. And I'm like, well, guess what? My wife grew up around Kansas City too. And all of a sudden, oh, we're in California. Did you know that? All of a sudden, we run into a guy from Kansas. From Kansas. That's just weird to me. That would not have happened if we weren't eating together. And I didn't take a bite of his food, but things happen. Revelation 19, verse 9 says this, because Christ invites us to eat together. John writes, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the, of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now today, you are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You have a direct invitation from God. Now, whenever we think of a feast, we think of one thing, but today what we are going to do is we are going to feast through the process of, of what's called communion. And communion is, is a representation of the body and of the blood sacrifice of Jesus that he made on the cross. Uh, I think one of the most interesting passages is found in John chapter 6 because Jesus was, was very graphic in his details and he let them know this is the deal. They, <clears throat> they were talking about stuff, and he goes, all right, listen. There's no way you can't get back. This is the deal. This bread, this is my flesh. And this, this wine, this is my blood. And it, for entrance and, and for us to be united through this, guess what? You have got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, if I said that to you, I think that would freak most of you out, correct? That would be a little weird. It's just a little bit later in the text, the disciples, the people closest to Jesus go, 
uh, Jesus, that's kind of a hard teaching. That's kind of weird and creepy. We don't understand it. And Jesus said, listen, I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did. Old Testament, they're passing through the Exodus. They're hungry. God gives them bread, manna from heaven. And they ate it, and they were sustainable. But guess what? They died. You will not die as your ancestors did, but you will live forever. And and through this story, some of the disciples, they just couldn't take it, and they left. They couldn't handle his teaching. So today, um, here at Creekside, we practice what's what, what we consider to be open communion. And you don't have to be a member. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything except be invited. And guess what? You're invited. You're invited to the table, to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And as you do this, I'm going to walk you through it. But the bread that you're going to go get here in a second is a representation of the body of Jesus. That work that he did on the cross that I was just speaking about, the only way to get back to God is through that work of him. And the juice on the tables is a representation of that shed blood that, well, that he sacrificed for you and for me.